This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Coming up, we're going to talk about kids, children in your community. I think you're going to find this very, very interesting and very compelling. Stay with us for that. Vancouver's mayor wants to ban Airbnb rentals for those who aren't living in the homes they are listing while requiring everyone else to hold a business license. Mayor Robertson revealed the city's approach to regulating short stays facilitated by vacation rental websites, which he says are contributing to a dangerously low vacancy rate. Robertson says he recognizes a need to allow short-term stays in principal residents so renters or owners can supplement their incomes in a very expensive city, but he wants those Airbnb users to get business licenses and post that license number in their ads. A warning for Vancouver from Swiss Bank UBS. It says the city's house prices have risen to levels that are unjustified by local economic factors. It says that when compared to 17 other cities around the world, Vancouver faces the greatest risk of experiencing a sudden downturn correction in home prices. The bank says Vancouver's risk of a housing bubble is greater than other high-priced housing markets such as London, Hong Kong, and Sydney, Australia. I guess that means we are number one. We are number one. U.S. home prices rose modestly over the summer, particularly in July, the latest numbers available, pulling uh, uh, particularly in Portland, Seattle, and Denver. The housing market has been helped uh, by a strong job market and low mortgage rates. Canada's Competition Bureau says the Vancouver Airport Authority must stop impeding competition among in-flight catering companies servicing what is recognized as the second busiest airport in the country. That's in Richmond. A bureau investigation says the airport authority is denying new in-flight catering companies the access to Vancouver International. According to the investigation, the airport authority just can't justify the decision to restrict new catering companies and the decision to bar them actually increases the cost of running an airline in Canada. The Competition Bureau has applied to the Competition Tribunal for an order requiring the airport to allow greater competition among in-flight caterers. Ford is recalling about 74,000 Focus hatchback cars with manual transmissions in Canada and in the United States because the hatches can be unlatched too easily while the cars are moving. The recall covers certain Ford hatchbacks and RS versions from 2013 through 2017. The company says the hatch can be unlocked and unlatched by pushing a single button when the car is traveling under 6 kilometers per hour. Volvo says it plans to sell a self-driving vehicle to consumers in five years. CEO Hacken Samuelson says Volvo is already making early versions of the vehicles. They'll be tested on public roads in Sweden next year and in London and China in 2018. Now, there's an Uber for cars. There's an Uber for phone repair. Drop your phone, find a new screen, fire up the app, and someone comes and fixes it. There's a handyman app, food app. How about bicycle repair? Now there's an Uber-like app for the Velo Tooler. Currently, it's in beta testing. The Velo Tooler connects bike riders with independent bike mechanics. 
After consumer requests a mechanic for a specific task, the job goes out to nearby participating mechanics who can choose whether to accept the job or not. Perfect for Vancouver. Samsung says it's working with Health Canada to address potential safety issues with some of the top-loading, high-efficiency washing machines it's manufactured between March 2011 and last April. Samsung says some machines sold under its name and the Kenmore brand may be affected. It warns the machines can vibrate to the point where they could pose a risk of injury or property damage and is advising customers washing, bedding, bulky, water-resistant items to use the delicate cycle. Samsung's Canadian arm is providing a toll-free number with links to two special websites with instructions for Samsung and Kenmore machines. Rogers Communications has announced a major pullback in printed editions of its magazine division. It says Flair, Sportsnet, Money Sense, and Canadian Business Magazines will only be available online starting in January. The company's print revenue has plunged that is, by more than 30% year over year, and Rogers says advertisers are moving increasingly to digital platforms. Other prominent Canadian magazines, including Maclean's, Chatelaine, Today's Parent, are reducing their number of print editions. Funny, popular, famous, and dangerous... All are terms you can use to describe comedian Amy Schumer, not to mention Kevin Hart, Mindy Kaling, Chris Hardwick. Dangerous? Well, yes, at least to your computer, according to Intel Security. The company says the comedians are on the list of the most dangerous celebrities online. That means if you search for those names, you run a higher risk of connecting with a website that carries a virus or malware. Intel says a search for Schumer generates a nearly one in five chance that you'll end up with more on your computer than just what you ask for. Some might even call it a train wreck. And yes, I had to go there. Other celebrities, uh, by the way, that also find themselves with malware or these kinds of viruses that will infect your computer, Justin Bieber, Carson Daly, Will Smith, Rihanna, and Miley Cyrus. It's a pretty big hit with consumers, and now Apple is trying to see if they can break the glass ceiling when it comes to the use of products in a corporate world. It's teamed up with Deloitte Consulting, and they want to find an inroad getting more businesses to use iPhones. By the way, iPhone sales now at around $233 billion. Richmond City officials are requiring all bus stop advertisers to display at least 50% English language copy. Earlier this year, the city entered a new contract with an advertising agency, including the 50% English language provision. The contract, which came into effect on August 1st, comes two years after controversy for the city to impose the same English language requirements on business signage. Census data indicates nearly half of Richmond residents identify as having Chinese ancestry and 40% report speaking Chinese as their first language, whether it's Cantonese, Mandarin, or another dialect. And the man who got generations of hot dog lovers humming along with the Oscar Mayer Wiener song has died. An obituary posted online in northern Illinois says Richard Trenlidge died on September 21st at the age of 87. With the words, oh, I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener, he helped solidify the company's hot dogs as a piece of Americana. We are going to talk about children. 
Uh, we can call them kids. We can call them uh, youth. We, there's a number of things that we can call them, but these are all people that are part of our community. Your community, my community, wherever you live, you will find young people uh, just like the ones that we are going to talk about today. And I want to welcome a couple of people. First off is uh, Britta West, who joins us from Plea and uh, Janet, who is one of our guests, and we'll leave her last name out of that for reasons that will become obvious in just a few minutes from right now. And I think the main message that we want to impart today in our conversation is that there are a lot of young people that are in our community that aren't getting all that they need from our social services, and that we can uh, bring more to the table by becoming a little bit more involved. So I want to start with you, Britta, and ask you about PLEA. Uh, it's an organization that has been around for for decades now, and yet very few of us have ever heard of it. Yes, absolutely. PLEA has been around 30-plus years, and we do a whole bunch of different stuff, uh, but we haven't done it publicly and on display. Um for a lot of reasons. The biggest one being we're focusing on the people that we're working with. Um, what we want to do, though, is we want to invite other people to become more involved in the good work that we do. So why, after a number of years, I, I believe you said that it's around 30 years that mm -hmm. PLEA has been an organization. Why now? Why are you coming out now? I mean, the, the programs that you've offered over these years have been very successful. Uh, you continue to be successful, but now you've you've taken this decision to become more public, to make sure that people in the community that you serve know about what you're up to. Our sector has changed. Um, several decades ago, the thinking was that we didn't talk about kids who were having a hard time, and we didn't want to know about them. We wanted them to just do better. Um, and so the idea was when you help kids, you did it in secret or, or behind the scenes. So what we want to do is we want to change that thinking. And the thinking has changed. What we know now is that these kids are everywhere. They're all over the place in our neighborhoods. And society has changed. They embrace helping, embrace helping young people much more. So we want to talk about all the good work we have done because now we can invite more people to help. Well, we talked uh, off air before we started today about a lot of the good work that you do. And, and the first thing that I take from our conversation off air, and hopefully we can share some of this, is the very positive nature of your organization. And uh, Janet, who is here, will testify to that in, in a moment. We'll, we'll get to Janet and share some of her stories. Are we talking about, we, you talk about kids that are having trouble. So... First of all, what are you doing? What's your objective here? And who are these kids? And, and are they in trouble? So we do family caregiving, which is essentially foster care. We help kids live in better homes, essentially, is what we do. Um, the kids can be in trouble, or they may not be. They may have lost their living situation for a variety of reasons. So what we do is we connect young people who need home support and family support with families who have room for one more. What happens to these kids that need a home, they need a place to stay, they need a, a family environment? What happens to them if, if you can't provide that home for them? 
If we can't provide a home, we have an array of other services that we provide, ranging from outreach work, youth work, counseling. We have tutors. We have schools. Um, I could go on and on, and I'm sure I'm missing something. Um, it isn't always about the home and our family caregiving. We endeavor to create relationships with young people that will help them do better and be better in the world. And how does that start? Where, where do you begin with that? So after we get a referral, let's say, um, then we will start outreaching to a young person and determining what they need and what their strengths are, what they're good at, what they want to do in the world. We have to work down both of those paths with them. The more we support them to be who they are in positive ways, the more some of the more challenging things fall into place for them. Let's talk a little bit about these children, these youth how do they get into the situation? I know that you say there's there's a variety of reasons why mm-hmm. kids get into this this position that they're in, but what are some of the, the primary reasons that kids find themselves needing a home or outreach? As far as the home goes, they may have not been able to live at their own home anymore because of things going on with their parents. So um, the themes can be things like addiction and abuse, family violence, um, drug use, criminal involvement. There can be a lot of complicated things going on in a home where a child may find that they can't live there anymore. When the government gets involved or agencies or schools get involved, it's because we've identified that there's a need to support the young person and or the family to doing better. So that's where we step in. And how often does this happen? The, the reason I asked that question is because I'm trying to gauge how, how large is this issue? Well, I've been working in the sector for a long time. And so to me, it's very large. Um, I live and breathe it. Let me put it to you this way. We never have enough homes. We never have enough people to deliver services. There are always more young people who need us and need us more and need us longer and need us in different ways. And we're not the only organization out there. There's Mm -hmm. dozens and dozens of others, right? Um, So how often does this happen? All of the time. Talk a little bit about PLEA, the background uh, of PLEA, what sort of an organization is PLEA, who's involved, who works there, who doesn't. Uh, I take it that PLEA is a not-for-profit organization. Uh, but fill in the blanks. So we're a not-for-profit organization. Um, We were started in the, I hope I get this right, late 70s, early 80s by um, some fantastic people who I know personally. Um, And it started as a couple of people going out into the community wanting to work with young people who were struggling with what we call justice issues. So maybe they'd encounter the legal system in some way. So we started with a focus on delivering services to kids who had been involved with law. Um, It's been a long time, and so we've grown and blossomed in huge ways. We have now services that we deliver to young people with all sorts of different issues, addictions, uh, like I say, family violence, disability, all of that stuff. And so as we've grown, we've developed very individualized programs for the communities that we serve. So we're not a one-size-fits-all, right? The people who work at PLEA are a lot of people like me, people who are in the sector because they care about giving back, they care about reaching out to people who need more. So many organizations that work with young people or anybody who finds themselves in in this crazy road of life uh, needing some help, 
Uh, there's so, oftentimes there's a religious component. Is there with plea? No, um, and I I want to say that carefully. Um, we have a deep respect for everybody's religious um, orientation. I guess you'll say. Um, however, we don't come at this from one. And it's really important to know that because we are what's called public parenting or secular parenting. The reason for that is young people need to be able to develop their own religious identity. Um, so we serve as a backdrop for that. But we do not ever want to be in a situation where we are determining or telling a child how to think, what to believe, etc. Now, having said that, we have a lot of lovely families who are deeply religious mm -hmm. and care about their faith a great deal. But we work very carefully um, with them so that they can support a young person in being their own independent self if it comes to religion. Now, if you take a, a child into your home, for example, that has uh, an, an addiction issue, mm -hmm. uh, how does somebody like myself who has no experience with addiction issues, how, how would I handle that? Uh, do I have the help of plea or am I left to my own devices? Well, this is what makes us different than foster care. This is why we tend not to use that word. And I, and I hope that people understand that. Yes, it's different. And we give you a ton of training and a ton of support. So let's say it's addictions. Um, you have 24-7 somebody on the other end of the line. We have people who consult with nurses and physicians. We have a pharmacy that we work with very directly that deliver medication to the, to the home. Mm -hmm. We have youth workers who come in. You would be contacting someone at plea almost daily if someone is experiencing addiction. And we support the home in such a way that you're able to stay home with the young person to help them overcome these issues. The old foster care model was they're placed in your home and you have to sort of do the best you can with what you have. Deal with it. Right. This is different. We have what we call paraprofessionals, essentially our teams that come in and heavily scaffold and support you in your home. So you're not alone doing this. We don't look for people with skills and training. We look for people with care, love, attachment, you know, commitment, and we build in the other stuff. And I keep mentioning, we're, Janet is sitting here patiently. We're going to bring her into the conversation in just a moment. She is a home family caregiver who has lots of experience, and I, and I, want, to, I want you to hear some of that. But I just want to sort of set out some of the parameters of what we're working with here. Uh, essentially, you want people to open up their home to these children in need. What is the, the, is there an age range or an age specific that you deal with? Our organization um, deals with youth who are 12 to 19. Having said that, we do, um, every young person that we work with is in, on an individualized basis. So age isn't always a very specific, um, you know, factor. But 12 to 19 is what we predominantly work with. Um, so those are the kids. Let me ask you this. If I take in a child and I've been vetted and the child seems to be a good match for my home or my family, and after a couple of minutes, I, or a couple of minutes, a couple, hopefully it's more than a couple of minutes, a couple of months <laughs> go down by and, um, you know, I, I, I come back and I say, I, you know what, I can't handle this. I, mm -hmm. I just can't do this. Uh, does that happen a lot? And, and if so, what do you do in that situation? So happily, I'm proud to say it doesn't happen a lot. Our vetting process is um, 
involved, I guess is the word I will use. And in, in some ways, um, we are looking to mitigate that from the very first time we meet you. So we have a lot of questions we ask and we go down a very long road to get to know you to make sure you're the person we want our young people with. The other thing is we do not just place anybody in your home. We look for what we call goodness of fit and that's about the relationship. Now, if something happens where you are struggling and you want to stop and it's not working for you anymore, then we rush in, determine whether we can help you overcome that and give you rest and respite and possibly give you a a different experience. Um, But if it doesn't work, then we are so happy for you to have attempted and tried to contribute. We're talking to Plea today. The website is GiveAKidAHome, GiveAKidAHome.ca. Have a look at that website, and we'll continue this conversation in just a moment, and we'll talk to a home family caregiver. That's coming up next on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. <coughs> Talking to Britta West, who is in studio with me. She is with Plea. Uh, Plea is an organization that has been in service for almost three decades, if not more than three decades, but you probably have never heard of them. Their good work has been done uh, on their own terms, and now uh, they have found after all of these years that they want to reach out to the community that they serve and have you become more involved. And in that, they are hoping that you'll join their campaign to help people Uh, families, uh, particularly children who need a home. And uh, home caregiving is part of what we're talking about today. Uh, If you want to join this conversation on any level, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, uh, feel free to join us. We're live and we're here right now for you at 604-280-9898. We're talking about what was traditionally called foster care. 604-280-9898 or star 9898. Now, Janet is a home caregiver, and you have been doing this for how long with Plea? Uh, Almost six years. Six years? I'll get you to just move in a little bit onto that mic. And uh, obviously, you didn't give up after six days or six months or six weeks. Uh, Some people would. Uh, What's kept you going? Um, I just, I really believe in our program. I believe in the children, the kids in our program. I, I see results all the time. And every child deserves to be loved and, and to be in a home with somebody that's going to help them and, and be a part of their life. You have kids of your own? I do. So what would possess you to want to take in somebody who perhaps maybe has had some trouble with the law or maybe has some addiction issues or or maybe has been abused? I mean, this is not an easy task, I would think. Why would you want to do that? Because they deserve that chance. They they didn't put themselves generally in that situation. Um, And... Opening up your home to them is is very rewarding. It has been very rewarding, and that's why I've stuck with it. I also have an amazing team that I work with that also helps. So, let's talk a little bit about those rewards in terms of uh, of, of the the children that you deal with. Um, I would imagine some some difficult situations have come into your home. Yes, and and can you describe as an example of? of somebody who's come into your home perhaps was maybe scared or had some issues and that you have seen and perhaps worked with and helped to turn their lives around and turn these young people into productive citizens? Um, well, there's been 
most of the kids that come into your home at first are not, you know, they're not eager to be there as as uh, we would expect because they could have come from, they could have maybe just been removed from their parents. They could have been through multiple homes already. Trust is a huge issue. So building a relationship with them and um, it takes time and patience and celebrating small successes is really important. Um, how you measure success is really important. Um, it could be something so subtle or um, something really profound. So, um, but, but watching them grow and um, do some of the things that nobody ever expected them to do is just amazing. What were you doing six years ago? Teaching. You were teaching? Excuse me, yes. And, and, and so obviously you work with young people. Mm-hmm. And you had a some sort of sense of what young people are all about because you you dealt with many I'm sure as a, as a teacher. What made do you want to open up your home? Did you see that need, or did you feel there was a void? Um, well, my daughter was no longer a teenager. My second daughter was no longer a teenager, and yeah, it was kind of like I had room in my home, and I thought I spent a lot of time with the kids. My daughter brought kids home to me all the time. So I would work with them, and I found it to be, it seemed to work. I seemed to be able to do it. And and then I found this organization. I found PLEA, and I thought, why not? Let's. I've got the, the room in my house and my heart, so let's try it. How much heart is needed for what you do? A lot. <laughs> Are yeah, there times when you feel like this is more than you can bear? Mm. There has been times, yeah, I, I will say there's been times, but, but again, because I have um, such a team around me, when I'm feeling what I'm feeling or I need to talk or, you know, debrief, I always have someone to talk to. Even as, as I, I can phone my RSC at any given time, I've been able to phone our program manager at home right. uh, and, and, you know, vent or, you know, just let some things out. So the team is very supportive. So those those moments of doubt or those moments of what am I doing this for mm-hmm. are well overcome by the, the victories, even if they're small victories along the way. Yes, I believe so. For me, they are. Yes. And have you really seen uh, changes in, in, and I'll say kids, if I can use that term, kids that have come into your home, uh, they, they come from a variety of walks and, and issues that they come with? They are, it's very diverse, yes, and they all come from different situations. Every child is unique, and every situation is, and their situation is unique. And, and have you that. seen the difference? Uh, oh. when, from the day that they arrive to your home, and they're afraid, and they're scared, and they're, maybe they're angry, or, or whatever their emotion is at that moment, I mean, you're, they're coming to your place, and already they've rejected you outright. So you have to overcome that. And once you overcome that, and then the small victories become big victories, uh, that must be awfully rewarding. It's amazing. And, you know, you, you just can't take things personally. You cannot, um, you have to sort of approach the new child coming to your home. You just go very, very slowly with them. And, and, and as I said, look for small victories, um, just little things that make you smile and you go, wow, like this, there's so much change happening before your eyes. And it happens, it happens slowly, 
but you just have to you can see it and it's and it's so obvious when you are um, providing a nurturing home for a child they and you are transparent and loving and nurturing to them they know it and they grow is it a full-time job oh yes no. <laughs> yes do you get is. do you get time off yes yes they provide us with respite which is uh, wonderful so we have respite workers that come to our home or we are able to put the child in respite for whatever whatever is allowed for that child. So you have enough time to to look after yourself essentially. We also have youth workers that come and do different tasks, different things with our children, life skills, all various things. So okay. we 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 do. We have assistance, so it's good. One question I wanted to ask you and I want to go back to Britta um as a caregiver, somebody who has kids in their home, what has been some of the biggest rewards for you in terms of having these children in your home? Um, <clears throat> there's been certain situations where the kids have actually um, gone back to their families, which I think is really wonderful when the family is healed. The, you know, the situation has gotten better. And, and them remaining in contact with me is so is really special to me. And um, I've had a couple of kids that have aged out that are still very much part of my family and will always be a part of my family. And um, that feels great to know that. This is know. a connection that, and a bond that builds over time like any anything else that's worthwhile in life. It doesn't necessarily happen in an hour or overnight, but that connection... That, that trust, and when that trust is established, the, the, the child starts to turn their life around, your life turns around, and you become this connection. Even though every child eventually leaves the nest, uh, you become lifelong friends, partners, uh, surrogates, whatever the title you want to use. This is a very compelling story, and, and I, I, we've got to stop here for a moment. But when we come back, I, I want to go back to Britta West with plea, and talk about some of the support systems that PLEA has put in, in place to support people like yourself, as well as the kids that are served. In the meantime, I'd like you to visit a website. It's giveakidahome.ca. This might be just the thing you are looking for in your life. Giveakidahome.ca. We are witnessing, as that cliche goes, love will conquer all. I mean, this I can see it in the face. Uh, hopefully you can hear it in the emotion from the voice. Giveakidahome.ca. We're talking about plea on Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. We are talking about plea. Giveakidahome.ca. Giveakidahome, one word, dot C-A. Visit the website, get more information, and keep listening. This might be something for you in terms of becoming a family caregiver with PLEA. PLEA is an organization, as we've learned this morning, that's been around for at least uh, three decades and has uh, a program that has been working and has been very successful at providing homes and care for kids that need it. Uh, at one time, the, the term was foster care, and that's it's probably a term that still works today. Uh, Britta West is with PLEA. Janet is our, also in our in-studio guest. She is a caregiver. I want to go back to, to Britta for a moment and talk a little bit about the support systems that you provide for family home uh, caregivers. Sure. So 
there's two ways to look at this. One is the supports we give the young person that's in the home, and the other is the supports that we give the home, the caregiver. Right, okay. And that is, we do it all, we do both. And I think that that is the really important thing that people need to hear, because this you're not alone in doing this, um, and that's why it, it becomes so beneficial to you and your family and the young person. For the young person, we might be talking about a youth worker who takes them out and works on their resume or takes them to sporting events that they haven't been able to go to before or gets them involved in volunteering or you might be talking about a counselor that we send into the home to help them. You might be talking about one of our schools or a tutor because maybe they've had academic challenges because of their living situation. When we talk about supporting the caregiver, we do that as well. So we have a couple of roles in our agency. One is called our Residential Services Coordinator. Big name for a big mm-hmm. role. <laughs> and their job is to support the caregiver. If you're tired, if you're frustrated, if there's been a crisis, if you don't know how to navigate the system, then the Residential Services Coordinator is your person. They're the person who goes in and helps you with whatever situation's going on. We have caregivers who could be connecting with plea daily, depending on what's going on in their home. So we're always there. You know, I, as I sit here and I, and I anticipate what I want, because I have so many things in my mind and so many questions I have to ask, and, I, and I'm, I keep thinking, how delicate do I have to be with this? Because I think that's the first thing that, that's the go-to. We're, this is a delicate s- subject matter. Mm-hmm. And yet it's such a critical part of our society and our communities. And if we're going to build strong communities and have a future that, that has productive citizens in it, mm-hmm. we, need to, we need to be more supportive of one another. And this is one way of doing that is to become uh, a family caregiver, to accept a child or children into your home and, and make their world better. They'll make your world better. Mm-hmm. Uh, who... So I, I hope I'm asking this question in a manner that is respectful. Sure. And, and, and who makes the ideal candidate as a, as a caregiver? Sure. So, well, this is, I mean, first, this is why we're so happy to be here. Um, the sector has changed. We want to talk about this stuff. I certainly do. Um, because community is so important to our young kids. So the ideal caregiver is not a person with particular skills. It's a person with particular attributes. Mm-hmm. So we, I can't tell you how diverse our caregivers are. I mean, there's no way to put them in boxes. We are so excited when we get someone who wants to be a caregiver, who wants to demonstrate how they want to give back to people in our community and young people. They can be someone who is a leader. They can be someone who's like a coach. They can be someone who's like a mom, right? So we have caregivers who are young, who are old, who are in families, who are single, who all sorts of different people. But what I'm looking for when we do an assessment or or a vetting process on somebody is somebody who's interested in connecting with a child. When the connection happens, then all the other things start to fall in place. Where do people, uh, and maybe Janet uh, wants to answer this, uh, where do you find the motivation to want to reach out to do this kind of work, to be a family home caregiver? I think that it's just something that you, for me, it's just an internal thing. It's just I've always... I've always wanted to reach out. I always have enjoyed reaching out. I, I, I like being with the young people. I like, they actually, 
I, they are our greatest teachers, I believe. Well, I was so, going to ask you, in the six years that you've been a home caregiver, what do you think has been your greatest lesson? Oh, I, I, there's too many lessons I've had, but most, the, I would have to say, just how I look at life, how I look at situations, what's important to me, um, again, how, how, we, how I measured success before and how I view it now are they're completely opposite. I, I look at things and situations um, so differently. In fact, you know, when my kids were growing up and I worried about whether they got A's on their report mm-hmm. card, it doesn't matter. Like those things, that's not how I measure success with my kids. Not to say that that won't happen, right. but it's not, what I, it's not what I look for. I have had a youth in my home where came to me at 14, couldn't read a word. And when you work with him and you have tutors around him and all of a sudden he's sitting with you and he's reading to you and you go, wow, like yeah. that's, and you know, just, just life lessons, the stuff that these kids have been through, it's, you know, it's, 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 and, and they're so resilient. Janet is a caregiver, a family caregiver with plea. Britta West is with PLEA, uh, an organization that has, it's a not-for-profit organization that has been doing this kind of work for 30 years. And uh, what about the idea somebody might be thinking, you know, I I think I could give my time my home, but, you know, these are tough times. I'm not so sure that I can afford to have a child or children in my home. Well, this is another way in which the sector has changed. We want to talk about the fact that you, you're provided resources to do this, right? Um, so we provide compensation for taking a young person into your home um, that's more than adequate to support you in staying at home to work with this young person. And depending on your situation, that may be different. There's a wide range. Sure. Um, so we, you may have, there may be a 17 or 18 year old who's in school and who's just about to become 19 and launch into adulthood and your level of, let's say, uh, supervision is lower, right? And so you're able to work and, and stuff like that. But it could be very different. You may have a 12-year-old who needs a high degree of support and who needs you at home. And so we compensate for that time, right? Okay. And where do your funds come from? (laughs) So our funds are diverse. Um, We get funding from the Ministry of Child and Family Development and a whole bunch of other places. Um, It's uh, We're so big that there's a lot of different sort of streams, I would say. Right. So what sets you apart at PLEA from other bureaucratic agencies? <laughs> um, well, I would like to say that we're bureaucratic, but we're not bureaucrats. Um, my team, the management team, the staff, the directors at PLEA are, I mean, these people are my friends. I've worked with PLEA for a long time. I believe in it wholeheartedly. And it's because the people who work at plea care about this from the human place right mm-hmm. so um yeah be, be bureaucratic in the sense of the system but um it's not bureaucratic when you go to work definitely not we've heard a little bit about some of the children that might be needing a home needing this kind of care uh, uh, janet gave a great example of a, a young fellow who couldn't read when he first entered her home and then she saw him with the, the help of a tutor <laughs> become this this reader and and we all know that 
that skill is something that will take you for the rest of your life, and it's, it's just a, a huge, huge difference in a person's life. What are some of the other challenges that, that some of these young people have? So we may have a young person who has academic challenges, like you said. We may have a young person who has had a lot of challenges with their family, so relationships. Um, or their living situation. And to talk about the more delicate themes, we may have a young person who struggled with addictions or involvement with crime. Um, We have a lot of young people, if I can use this word, who have been exploited in a lot of different ways. Mm. They've been taken advantage of by other people who have not been kind to them. We used to see kids as bad or good, right? right? Innately so. And they're not. That's not the way it works. If a young person has done something that isn't okay, most times they have been exploited into doing that. Uh. And that's why I care passionately about the way that we talk about young people. Um, this, this, these behaviors don't just fall from the sky. So exploitation is something that we work very, very hard to mitigate for our young people. And it's important that people in community understand that kids don't start out with these challenges. These come from our community and right. society. Yeah. So we have to, as community and society, um, mitigate that, help change it. These kids are in development. This is going a lot of different places for them at 15, 12, 18. They're not just that way. So I have seen remarkable changes in young people's lives because of the relationship with the one good person they had who cared. It makes all of the difference. If you don't become a family caregiver, if you don't have Mm -hmm. enough homes for these children, Mm -hmm. do these children are, are, I mean, I know there's other agencies and I know there's other helplines, but Essentially, these kids become lost in the shuffle, I'm guessing. A lot of them, if there's not enough families or enough homes for them to to get into. Well, yeah. Lost in the shuffle is, um, it happens. We've all heard the stories Mm -hmm. of how it can happen. Now, um, there's a lot of different ways that a young person can be impacted upon for that not to happen. Family caregiving is a major one. That's a huge one. We all know what it feels like to go home at the end of the day and feel comfort and warmth and good food and relationship and fun and all of that stuff. Um, So that's that's a piece I care about deeply. Plea also does a lot of other stuff. Connecting with young people who don't want to come into a home is something we also do. We have a ton of outreach organizations, or, or sorry, parts of our organization. People who can't or don't want to become a family caregiver can give back in a lot of other ways. So this is not just about opening up your home. This might be giving some of your time. This mm-hmm. might be uh, working with a young child on a part-time basis. Absolutely. There are many ways that you can help change the life of a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds so trite and glib to say that, but... Mm-hmm. But these are these are words that could not be truer. Well, it's not trite and glib to say it at all. It 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 sounds like it, but when you've met these kids and worked with them, we have to remember that these are people's lives. And we're adults. We're supposed to be leading them down a path and we can't give up. What on a them. concept, leadership. <laughs> right? We we have to right? go. We have to go. We could keep talking about this and perhaps we'll have another opportunity to no do worries. just that. Britta West is with Plea. Janet is a family caregiver who shared her very, very touching stories, and I appreciate that. Visit the website giveakidahome.ca. That's the plea website, giveakidahome.ca. Thanks for being here. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Jamie Benteen is our technical producer. My name is Ian Power. Stay with us for CKW Weekend with Shane Foxman. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.